Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the early morning edition of The Yard. Ordinarily, I would wait until the emotion of the disappointing loss had uh, given way to a good night's slumber, but uh, I'm wide awake and uh, very disenfranchised when it comes to Mississippi State men's basketball, and uh, yeah, listen... You know, to be fair about this, uh, you know, listen, we did not expect this team to be great this year. But I'm not going to sit here and excuse this performance that we had against Ole Miss. And I'm not going to sit here and uh, talk poorly of Ole Miss. And if some people expect that, you know, listen, Ole Miss is not a great basketball team this year. They're 7-6 and six and had won one league game and had lost three games in a row and five of the last six. And they came to Humphrey Coliseum. And they completely outplayed, out-hustled, and out-toughed Mississippi State. They had more intensity in the ball game, And that is very concerning. That is extremely concerning. Mississippi State, with everything to play for, with a very, very difficult schedule ahead. And uh, we went out and didn't play well. And it, it's interesting. You know, I spoke with a friend of mine earlier in the day, and he said, you know, I'm worried about the ball game, not just because it's Ole Miss and not just because of the fact that, you know, Kermit Smith, you know, clearly has an axe to grind with his alma mater. I'm concerned with the fact that we've been so up and down this year and we won that big game, Florida. Can we handle success? I talked about on Monday's show that we would get Ole Miss's best effort. We certainly did. I thought their effort on the defensive end was outstanding. I thought they forced us into several, several bad shots. And, uh, you know, you tip your cap, you know, but uh, we're going to break the ball game down. We're going to look at some things that went wrong. We're going to look at some things that, uh, you know, maybe we can build on. But uh, like many of you, I just don't have a lot of confidence right now in the direction of our men's basketball program. I don't. And uh, I know many of you share in that concern. So we're going to talk at length about some of those things, too. We're also going to talk about the Mississippi State baseball schedule that came out uh, on Tuesday talked about it late last week that it was possibility it would be finalized and released late last week it was not monday of course a university holiday is uh the university in the nation uh honored martin luther king's memory and uh we should always celebrate that one of the uh you know you know milestone moments in our nation's history but today we released the schedule so we're going to break that down we're going to look ahead to some big things in baseball and i still think this is a great team in baseball and i think we're going to have a big year I think we have a real chance to get back to Omaha for the third consecutive season. I believe we would have been in Omaha last year. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of a you – know, that's washed away now. We'll just kind of look ahead to what we have. And like many of you, I'm just happy we're going to have a season. And so we'll break that down. We'll kind of look at uh, some matchups. And we'll have a lot of time to talk about baseball here in the, in the weeks to come. But, hey, we, you, know, we're, you know, we're a month away. As of today, we're a month away. We'll be in Arlington, Texas, opening up, uh, you know, huge, huge, huge opening weekend series out there, uh, you know, kind of a round-robin deal. We'll talk more about that. But uh, I like the fact that Mississippi State is in those type of events, that we are back and that people want us to be involved in those major opening weekend type events and there's not going to be a bigger event anywhere in college baseball than there will be a global life field the home of the texas rangers and mississippi state will be a big part of that so great on chris lamonis for putting mississippi state in a position where we could earn that invite and uh, that'll be awfully interesting and we'll talk a little bit about zach arnett mississippi state's dc still mississippi state's dc on today's show and uh, kind of look ahead to what is to come. Not a lot of new recruiting information to be had, but we will uh, we'll share some things on Friday's show. As uh, you know, hey, we're on, we're in the nitty gritty. You know, matter of fact, a week from to a week from Wednesday should have a young man uh, committing to Mississippi State, Catravian uh, Hargrove, out of Ruston, Louisiana, has identified January twenty seventh as his announcement date so we'll get more into that later in the week i know you guys are still kind of getting up to speed right now i know many of you are probably thinking you know steve i don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about men's basketball so we're going to spend some time talking about it and we're going to move on to some other things 
Let me remind you guys, too, when you're in Starkville or Tupelo, go buy and eat with the winners. That's right, Bulldog Burger Company, certainly a winning combination there, part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for many, many years. You can go buy and have the, uh, you know, the, the spring rolls. I don't know that the experience is complete without having the spring rolls. And then get a great restaurant-quality hamburger. The portions there are absolutely tremendous. The quality of service, great. Price is extremely competitive. So you can have a great night out with your family and not feel like that you broke the bank. You can go and have that. And more times than not, you're going to bring that stuff home with you, too. You're going to have more than enough to eat. And you can bring some home and, uh, and have it for lunch next day. How cool is that? A lot of places nowadays are cutting back on portions and increasing their prices. Not to find folks at Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to get your money's worth when you go to Bulldog Burger, for sure. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. They look forward to serving you and, and uh, having you as their guest. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so let's go ahead and get to it. An absolutely abysmal performance by Mississippi State men's basketball against Ole Miss. Um, yeah, and I really thought early on you could tell that Kermit had the Rebels really jacked up to play in the game. A lot of emotion from them, but not out of control. You know, sometimes you can get too high emotionally and kind of play your way into some trouble. And I didn't think Mississippi State really matched their intensity, and it showed. And they whipped Mississippi State. All right, this wasn't one of those things where it went down to a last-second possession and we didn't execute. They outplayed us really from start to finish. You know, we, we got a little bit of a lead early on, and then they go on, you know, what is it, 10-0 run, we get a timeout there, and then come back and put a couple of baskets up and, and get to within five. But it's never felt like after that that we were ever able to get over the hump. It seemed like that the entire ball game we were chasing Ole Miss, and every time we would go on a little bit of a run, they would match that and ultimately pulled away. And I really thought that our effort really struggled, uh, you know, in the second half. I did not think that we played well at all in the second half of that second half. That last 10 minutes of the ball game was all miss. And that was one of the things that they had kind of sold us on, you know, when Scott Strickland introduced Ben Howen is about how great we were going to be on defense and uh, we were going to be a team that uh, always played with great effort. We are now six years into this, and I think we have a really good handle on what the identity of the Ben Howen basketball experience is. And to be fair with you, it's going to be boring, boring, boring offense. You know, when we rebound well and we defend well and we get out and transition a little bit, we can be fun to watch at times. We were unable to do that. I thought there were some times tonight that, um, you know, we we did have some opportunities. We took advantage of some of those, but more times than not, when we did get out and try to run a little bit, we'd get out of control. We'd throw up an ill-advised shot, and next thing you know, Ole Miss is at the other end kind of grinding this thing down. And I I told some friends, you know, early on in that first half, I said, you know, this is going to be a ball game that Kirby's going to grind down and and probably win 46-42 or something like that. We were really playing – um, you know, Kermit Kirby, a Kermit uh, type of game. I mean, I, I thought Kermit Davis did a great job kind of managing the flow of the game and forcing us to play their kind of basketball. And uh, that just shouldn't happen in your home arena. I mean, it just absolutely should not happen. It did happen. And I know many of you are upset today. I'm upset. I mean, I mean I'm just going to be blank and be forthright with you about this. I'm upset because I don't think that we play with any intensity at all. And uh, it showed. I mean, it really, really showed. 29-21 at the break, and then they outscore us by 10 there in the second half to win 64-46. And I really don't even think the game was that close. You know, I get a lot of messages from you guys. Some of you guys say, you know what, Steve, you're awfully hard on Ben Howen and Mississippi State men's basketball. Uh, I don't think I am. I think I'm telling you the truth. And I've been saying it for a couple of years now. I just – I don't think – that uh, Ben Howen has the fire in the belly to kind of move this program forward. I am appreciative of the fact that he has Mississippi State kind of out of the doldrums of the SEC. We've won, what, 20 games three years in a row. And and listen, that is a remarkable accomplishment. But to be fair, the way non-conference scheduling works this year, winning 20 games in college basketball is basically like going 6-6 and in football. It's not the big deal it used to be. It's just not. And especially when you're a team like Mississippi State that had three NBA players on the 2019 team in Quindary Wetherspoon, Robert Woodard, and Reggie Perry, and you couldn't win an NCAA tournament game. We are six years into the Ben Howland era, 
and we have not won an NCAA tournament game. Now, some would argue, well, you know, Steve, they canceled the tournament last year. We would not have been in it. You know, forget what your friends on the message board say. We were not going to be in the tournament based on our resume at the end of the year. We needed to win two games in the tournament. We weren't going to be able to do that. Okay, I mean, and you said, well, Steve, you're speculating. You're right, I am. But I know that uh, Mississippi State was not playing great basketball, and I know that we were going to have a very difficult time. I guess it was Kentucky in the second round. Kentucky or Tennessee we just saw in the second round. And uh, so we might have won one game in the SEC tournament and probably would have been NIT bound again. And you say, well, Steve, this is your six. We hadn't even had the tournament yet. If you're thinking we're going to make the NCAA tournament, you're kidding yourself right now. Based on what you saw tonight, do you have any confidence whatsoever that Mississippi State's going to be able to be 500 in the SEC? I think beginning of the year we discussed that and said, you know what, if we could be 500 this year considering the youth of our team, that's a win for us. And so if I'm being objective about that, that's still possible. I just don't know how probable that is. So let's take a look at some of the, uh, the numbers from the Ole Miss game uh, tonight. I want to run some things down here for you before we get, you know, too wrapped up in there. You know, we have the, uh, you know, we get off, we talked about getting an early lead. You know, we, I guess we're up, uh, what, nine to six there. And it seemed like we were in a good spot there. And then Ole Miss comes back and, and cuts it to within one. We hit, uh, you know, we get Tolu Smith going. Tolu Smith uh, was a hero against the University of Florida. I thought Ole Miss did a great job, despite the fact that Romello White picked up a couple of early fouls. And we talked about that's kind of the game within the game was White versus Smith. And while neither one of them really started tonight, I thought that we did not take advantage of the fact that White was in foul trouble. And they did a good job kind of disrupting Smith. From there, it seemed like the game was over. State led 11-10, and the next thing you know, Ole Miss puts together a great run and uh, goes up 18-11. to Javian Davis uh, was back in action, uh, made a great play to, to cut it to five, and the next thing you know, again, we're just kind of out there chasing the game. Uh, Ole Miss closes out the, uh, the second half, first half, excuse, excuse me, and I guess they get – Got to uh, up by as many as eight, maybe, I guess, 27-19. And then it's 29-21, and they hit that jumper at the end of the break. You know, and it just it just felt like that when that happened, you're like, I mean, it is just not our night. But we're only down eight. And so, you know, one of my good friends said, hey, listen, let's just see what the second half adjustments look like. And, you know, of course, I'm being a little bit sarcastic and flippant, but I said, you know what, you're right. Well, there have been some games this year that we have been very lackluster in the first half and then come out with some fire in the second half. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of how we'll, uh, we'll get back into this. If we can get this thing, get manage this lead, go out there and get a couple stops early on, we can kind of carve into that. And uh, they come out and hit a three-pointer. Uh, Devontae Shuler had a really big night for Ole Miss, and for some reason we were just unable to stop him from going left. I don't understand that at all. So they go out and they hit the three, and they're up 11, 32, 21. And, you, and you, if you were like me, you're thinking, you know what, we are really, really, really facing an uphill battle here. Uh, we get the three-point shot from Jalen Johnson there to make it 32, 26, and you're thinking, okay, let's get a stop. We do, and then we get D.J. Stewart to hit the jumper. It's 32, 28, and it just felt like, you know what, we're back in it. We just need to get a couple stops here. And Ole Miss immediately stretches the thing right back out. They go right back to to a seven-point lead, and we're just chasing the game. We're chasing, 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 chasing the game. We cut it at 37-33 after the big three from D.J. Stewart. You're thinking, okay, here we go, here we go. We got it going again. They respond immediately. Demencio Vaughn bombs a three to put them up seven at uh, 40-33. And that's really – that's really as close as it got, I guess. I guess we, we did cut it to four a couple times uh, there before their late run to kind of put the game away. But it never felt like that we were, you know, we were in charge or we were in control. I thought Damian Fishback said it best. He said, sometimes Mississippi State plays too slow. We walk the ball up the court. We give the defense an opportunity to set themselves. And then sometimes we even go walk into a trap. And listen, Ole Miss didn't run as much 1-3-1 as I expected. They did run it at times on made baskets. 
and force some turnovers. And that was really the difference in the first half that I thought is just, you know, points off turnovers. I thought that Ole Miss did a great job getting a steal out there on the perimeter and then, you know, turning that into a, you know, fast break opportunity. And then they finished. So as we, you know, kind of push a little deeper in the ball game, I mentioned that 10-minute mark. Right there at 9.59, it's a 47-41 game. We're still in it. But from that point, Ole Miss really took control. 47-41, and the next thing you know, you know, it's the game is basically away from us. Uh, the, you know, they go up as many as 15, I guess, at 56-41. We finally call a timeout there, but it's too little too late. We ended up getting a free throw to cut a little bit. And then, uh, you know, then it was just really a matter of what the final score was going to be because once we got under the five-minute mark, Ole Miss had a 16-point lead at 58-42. We go down, throw up an old advised three, and next thing you know, they're off and running again. Uh, up by as many as 18 in the final minutes, 62-44. And uh, many of you were already ready to go to the house then. And uh, they stretch it to as many as 20. It's 64-44, and then uh, we get a dunk shot there late. We didn't even attempt a shot on our final possession. I really thought that we quit some in the second half. And those are the things that are very concerning. You know, you're at home, and you have so much to play for. And maybe it's not your night from a shooting standpoint. And maybe Ole Miss is playing a brand of defense you hadn't seen a whole lot. But State's uh, – you know, State's effort was not there. You know, we scored 46 points, the second lowest point total of the year for us. The only game that was worse was the season opener against Clemson, and we were without Iverson Molinar in that game. We're certainly a better team with him in the lineup. And so, but that, that just goes to show you how bad tonight's effort was, is despite the fact that our starting point guard was in the lineup, it's the second lowest point total of the year. Uh, looking at some numbers here, Devontae Shuler, of course, big night for him. 22 points on 8 of 13 from the floor. Uh, he connected on three threes uh, on five attempts and then three or four free throws. Did turn the ball over just a little bit, but he kind of negated some of that with three steals. Jarkel Joyner puts up 12 points for them. K.J. Buffin, it's like he's been there forever, pitches in nine. And, and he's not a guy that has a great offensive game, but uh, gets a lot of his points and effort, you know, second-chance points and just kind of being in the right place at the right time. It's a kid that plays exceptionally hard for Ole Miss, not especially skilled, but it does seem that every time that we had an issue, he was in the middle of it. And listen, he was an emotional leader for them. He had a lot to say. My attitude about that is this. When you're winning, you can say whatever you want. Romello White didn't do much at all tonight. We talked about that kind of being a game within the game. Foul trouble really kind of limited his minutes down to 18 for the game. Uh, pitches in just two points and three rebounds. Ends up with four fouls total. And listen, I thought it was a pretty well-officiated game, and I'm the first one to really complain about those sorts of things. They let them play. And I really thought, you know, since we were, we were a little bit bigger than them, that that would kind of play in our favor because it was going to be a lot of pushing and shoving down low. When there were some fouls called, there were times that – you know, Adu or uh, you know Tolu got pushed in the back on a rebound. They would call that, and they would call it on the other end too. I just didn't think it was a situation where officiating favored one team over the other. Uh, all told, when you look at the number of fouls called, I mean, it just really weren't a lot. Uh, nine fouls called on Mississippi State, 12 called on Ole Miss. And so we weren't getting to the line. We weren't dictating the flow of play. And uh, we were getting out hustled, it seemed like, for every loose ball. Looking at these first-half numbers here, um, you know, for, for Mississippi State, it was, it was not a shooting clinic by any stretch of imagination. We're 9 of 25 in the first half, 9 of 27 in the second half. We shoot 34.6% for the game. 4 for 14 from beyond the three-point line. We only made one three-pointer in the first half for 28%. And then, of course, 60% from the free-throw line, just 6 of 10 attempts. When you are the more physical team, why are you not getting to the line? And listen, as bad as we've been shooting free throws this year, you know, maybe that's not the way to go. But, you know, that's, that's what we used to do with Quindary is we just kind of isolate him and just let him create. And if he couldn't get us a basket, he could get to the line and then make a couple free throws. And that was kind of our offense. So we don't really have anybody like that. We don't have anybody uh, that can really drive to the hoop and get a basket whenever they want. But looking at, at State's uh, scoring numbers here, uh, D.J. Stewart with 18 points. And a little bit slow start for him, but I, I did think he had some nice moments. He also had a couple shots that were a little bit rushed at times. Uh, a couple times he came in on the break and settled for a jumper rather than pulling it out. And, and a lot of that's an experience. 
you know, when you have an inexperienced team, you're going to take some ill-advised shots. And that's one of the things that guards have to learn in the SEC is when to push and when to pull it out. And you say, well, Steve, you're kind of contradicting yourself. Well, not really. What well, my point is when the opportunities are there to run, we need to take them. But when we get out and go and they get back and transition defense, you got to pull it out and set up a half-court set. And I don't really know what we're doing on offense. It never seems like we're setting anything up. It just kind of seems that we're just kind of uh, beating the ball on the floor and then waiting for the shot clock to run down. And then whoever has the basketball has to kind of go create something for themselves. We don't do enough to get our guys into an open spot to knock down a shot. There were times tonight Cam Matthews drove and dished out to Jalen Johnson uh, who bombed a three. There were another time we drove and dished out to DJ Stewart. And that's probably where our game's going to have to be. But we're not a great perimeter shooting team and we're not a great perimeter defense team. Tolu Smith with 10 points, six rebounds. So I guess you could say he won the battle with Romello White, but Romello White, of course, goes home with a victory. Iris and Molinar, three of 10 from the floor and just seven points. We've got to have better production out of him. He did get six rebounds, just the two turnovers, but uh, only three assists. Didn't get in foul trouble either, and he and DJ are playing a ton of minutes these days. Abdul Adu goes 35 minutes, altered some shots. I really thought, to be honest with you, if I had to pick a player of the game for Mississippi State, I'm picking Abdul Adu. I thought of all of our players, I thought his effort was probably the best. He got out and blocked some shots in the mid-range and uh, pulled down nine rebounds, uh, credited with three blocks on the night and even had a steal. Only pitches in four points, but that's not his game. Knocked down a couple free throws for us and just one of five from the floor. But, uh, yeah, listen, you heard the commentator say that a lot of people believe Abdul Adu is one of the best post defenders in the country, certainly in the SEC. You can't run offense through him. He will, he will turn the ball over, and, uh, you know, he did. There were a couple times I don't think he was ready for a pass. But, um, you know, not a good effort all the way around. And, and you would think, you know what, hey, Steve, if we get 18 out of DJ, we got a good chance to win. But when they neutralize basically everybody else, you know, once you get through, uh, you know, your starting guards and your, your power forward there, there's your point totals, 4-3, 2 and 2. Not going to beat anybody in the SEC playing that way. 46 points isn't going to win a high school game more times than not. We didn't play well, um, and we lost to, a, you know, a very mediocre to less than mediocre Ole Miss team. And so, but again, it wasn't just about Mississippi State's inability to execute. you got to give Ole Miss some credit for you know, coming in here and winning a game they had to win. And so I've read some things on social media. People are like, well, you know, I think we're making too much of this game. Okay, rivalry aside, that is the wrong line of thinking. That is absolutely the wrong line of thinking. This is a game we needed to win, not just because it was all mess, but because of who we have coming up on the schedule. You know, Mississippi State now four and three in the league. And I don't know if you've peeked ahead a little bit, but let me share some things with you. This Saturday, we're going to be at Alabama who leads the SEC right now. Then we're going to be at third place, Tennessee, at Knoxville on Tuesday. And then we'll come back to Humphrey Coliseum. We'll play Iowa State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So it would be a break from SEC play, but that doesn't mean that uh, that's a guaranteed win for us by any stretch of imagination. Uh, There's just, you know, at this point we can't take anything for granted. Uh, against anybody. Iowa State, not been a good team this year. They are 2-7 and seven and 0-5 and in their conference. You look at that and say, you know what, that's a game we should win. We said the same thing about tonight. You can't take that for granted. Once you finish up the Iowa State game, you're on the road at Arkansas. Then you're at South Carolina. So four of your next five games are on the road. And then the one game you have at home is a non-conference game. And so this next stretch, very, very important for Mississippi State. After that four-game road trip, we come home to play LSU. And I don't know if you've noticed this. They're second in the SEC, and they have had our number the last few years. They found a way late, even when we played well, you know, to make a basket. And so when you look at the schedule, you start thinking, okay, we do get Vanderbilt here, so we feel good about that. But there's probably not another game on the schedule you look at and say, you know what, we should win that game. I think there's a real chance – to be honest with you, there is a real chance, unless we beat Vanderbilt, that we may not win another SEC game. And you say, Steve, that's hyperbole. No, it's not. Look at the schedule. Who would you say right now, who would you say in this league, you look at and say Mississippi State will definitely win that game? 
You can say, well, you know, Steve Vanderbilt's not very good. And you're right about that. They're not very good. But outside of that, who do you feel good about? I don't know that I feel good about anybody outside of that game. And what's the psyche of this team going to be by the time you get there? Let's say you go one and four over these next five ball games. You know, how are you going to feel then? You know, when you're 10 and 11, when you're less than 500, and you're now four and seven in the SEC, heading down the stretch. Those are the things that you look at. Look at, and I, I agree. The best thing to do is to judge coaches and seasons in the totality of the season. We've been in these situations before, where you find some fire in a bottle late, you upset some people. Next thing you know, everybody gets excited again. But one of the biggest concerns that I have, and I've learned this about life. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. Because even the things you hate, you've got a certain level of affection for. That's the reason you hate them. You know, maybe, maybe it's because of the fact, you know, you get these rivalries and things like that. But it matters to you. But the, the opposite of love when it comes to sports is, is apathy. And that's what you see a lot of. There are a lot of people out there that uh, are on the, on the precipice of apathy. And uh, you go look at the jeanspage.com message board right now on the basketball forum. There are a lot of people that have been firmly in Howland's corner that are now thinking, you know what, yeah, it's – listen, we expected to lose some ball games. We didn't expect to go out here and get outplayed and out-toughed in our own gym by a team that's been struggling. And, again, I, I, yeah, hey, Kermit, great job. You came in here and whipped our fannies again. I read a number earlier that uh, Ben Howland's 4-7 and seven against Ole Miss in his time in Starkville. That's not going to get it done. And these are not great Ole Miss teams. Some of them have been losing teams. Some have been awful. But yet they're 7-4 and four against Mississippi State in the Ben Howland era. And listen, we're not going to define our basketball success by how we do in an in-state rivalry. We're not. That's step one. You know, but when you begin to look at this thing and say, okay – we haven't won an NCAA tournament game since he's been here. And what does he have? One signature win in the time that he's been here? You know, beat, beat a, a highly heralded Auburn team here a couple of years ago. You know, we had some fun last year, but how many times did we, uh, we get elevated emotionally and then turn around and lose to Buzz Williams and Texas A&M because we didn't know how to beat the 1-3-1 despite the fact that we had a couple of NBA players on the roster? You know, those are the things you look at and you begin to think, okay, where, where is this thing going? Now, I'm a firm believer it's going to be difficult to fire, uh, you know, certain coaches around the country because of COVID. I get it. But we hadn't had a lot of COVID issues with men's basketball at Mississippi State so far. You know, you know, some may bubble up late, but we really hadn't had to deal with a lot of that stuff. You know, we had some things early on. Iverson Molinar, of course, missed a couple ball games. But when you begin to think, okay, can the Mississippi State fan base take another year of this? You know, I have felt all along that you probably need to give Ben another year with this young team and then kind of figure this thing out. But, you know, you, you kind of blew up the roster last year. You had a lot of guys leave. And, uh, you know, these are the guys you have. I mean, six years into this thing, these are all your players. These are your players that you picked to, to run your scheme. You kind of handpicked them and said, hey, these are our guys. And, listen, we are playing an exceptionally young roster. It's true. But, you know, Iverson Molinar and D.J. Stewart, those are guys that have some experience now. A couple of years under their, under their bill, this is year two for Molinar. But, you know, D.J. Stewart redshirted the first year, so he had a chance to kind of get bigger and stronger. And last year he was a role player for us. And, yeah, he's starting for the first time, and it's been, it's been a bright spot for us. But there are times, too, that he does show, you know, some immaturity. Abdul Adu, been here forever and a day. You know, so it's not like we're trotting five freshmen out there. That's not the reality of life. We go out and get a couple transfers. Tulu Smith, of course, has been uh, been a bright spot. You know, we've got to work on the free throws a little bit. But, uh, you know, so this is a team that you look at and say, you know what, these are, this is not just a bunch of junior college kids that have come in here that have never played, you know, any semblance of major college basketball. That's just not the reality of the situation. But to be fair to Ben Howland, I mean, these guys are kind of learning to play with each other. You know, there, there's no Weatherspoon out there anymore to bail us out when uh, – you know, we get late in the shot clock. You know, we're kind of having to figure these things out. It was a wild night in the SEC. If you look around there, you know, uh, Alabama absolutely trounces LSU. You know, that was the kind of battle of the teams in first place. Alabama entered the game 6-0. and 
LSU five and two, and Alabama's now won eight straight, twelve and three overall. Finally ranked, I guess number eighteen in the country. Florida embarrasses Tennessee and then trolls Tennessee about uh, the McDonald's thing with Jeremy Pruitt uh, on social media. But uh, you know, listen, running down the numbers here: Alabama's first, LSU second at five and two. Tennessee four and two, Missouri State at state's best win, arguably one of the best wins in the Ben Hallen era, uh, taking down Missouri, who's uh, three and two in the league and nine and two overall. Kentucky, despite being four and eight, is right there at three and two in the league. Uh, Florida four and three, right there with Mississippi State. Arkansas two and four, A and M two and four, Auburn two and four, Ole Miss two and four, South Carolina one and two. They finally got to play again. Georgia one and four. Vanderbilt 0-4, and that's the thing, too. You know, we went down and we beat Georgia and Athens, and uh, it appears that was a little bit of fool's gold. They were 7-0. We went down there. We didn't know how good they were, but we went down there and kind of took the fight to them. But once we've got into SEC play, they have really struggled. Currently 13th in the league, 1-4, 8-4 overall. And those are the things you begin to look at this thing and you wonder, okay, you know, where do the wins come from if you're Mississippi State? And at this point, I, I can't tell you. I, I think that we're in for a difficult stretch here. I don't want that to be the case. I, I got some friends of mine that said, oh, you're so out on this team. I'm not out on this team. I, I don't think anything negative about these players. I don't think they're being utilized properly. When you look at Smith and how fast he goes from rim to rim, you know, why can't that be a real weapon for us? You know, my biggest concern is is that we just play a boring brand of basketball. You know, what happens if the NCAA we, – we've all on the football side have been so eager for this one-time transfer thing to pass. Look at what that might do to our basketball programs. You know, goodness gracious, you get in here and listen, Starbucks a great place. But, you know, every kid in America that signs Division One basketball thinks, you know what, I'm going to go to the NBA someday. And so i got to be in an offense that uh, kind of features me and gives me a chance to get out and turn some numbers and put some things on tape. You know, and I, I think it's a tough sell. I mean, how does Ben Howen sell offensive basketball? I mean, the Russell Westbrook pitch is getting a little bit old. Yeah, there needs to be a new one. And you can say, well, you know what, we brought guys in, we developed them, we put them in the NBA, and, and that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to do that. I mean, because you, what is there, 326 Division One basketball programs, something like that? It's a ton of basketball programs. And there's only two rounds of the NBA draft. And so it's very, very difficult to get to the NBA. And Ben Howen has put three guys in the NBA. He has. But it hasn't translated to a lot of on-the-court success for Mississippi State. So I don't have the answers. I'm, I, th- this is one of those days I'm really glad that I'm not John Cohen because I'm sure that his inbox is filled up with angry Mississippi State fans saying, you know what, I'm not coming back as long as Ben Howen is there. Because that's the thing about rivalries is when, you know, when you beat your rival, things are better. That doesn't mean they're great, but they're better. But when you lose to your rival, everything is awful. It just is. And especially the way that Ole Miss has struggled. But I think, listen, even the most objective observers, if they watch that basketball game, I think everybody would agree that Kermit Davis absolutely outcoached Ben Howen down the stretch. His team was more ready to play. And then down the stretch, they executed at a much higher level. They were more tenacious on defense. And that's supposed to be Ben Howland's calling card is, uh, you know, half-court sets and great, you know, tough defense. And uh, we're just not getting that. We're, we're just simply not getting that. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to say that, you know what, we make a shot here, make a shot there. You know, we're a couple of games right in the thick of things, probably even in the SEC race. You know, we should have beat Kentucky. I don't think there's any question there. You know, we sh- should have beat Texas A&M. But, you know, we didn't. And this isn't a game of should-haves. It's a game of what you did, what you didn't do. And so, yeah, I, mean, I-, I could make an argument, you know, maybe we're not that far off, and then we have a game like this, and it- it's just an absolute gut punch. And, again, not just because it's Ole Miss, but because this is a team that was 1-4 in, in the league – and they lost five of six, and they come to our gym and look like they're, you know, ready to go to the NCAA tournament. Those are the things. This up and down stuff with Ben Howland, it's, and it's been a roller coaster the entire time he's been here. That's the thing that just really exhausts the emotion out of your fan base. It's when there just can't be any consistency, and you lose a lot of games you should win. It's not enough to win the games you expect to win, and we've lost some of those too. 
so we did tonight. But you can't consistently, you know, win a big ball game against Florida and then come back and lay an egg, you know, against Ole Miss. You, you can't go, you know, you, you can't lose to Kentucky when they're, you know, one of the worst Kentucky teams in the modern era. You can't lose those games. And so, again, you expect there to be some up and down with young teams and, and teams that don't have a lot of experience playing together. But this has been typical to Ben Howland experience. It's just simply been up and down. And so I expect a lot more down here in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll see what kind of coaching job he can do. Because, I, you know, I, I don't think you look at these games and say, okay, well, this is a definite win outside of maybe Vanderbilt. And by the time we get there, who knows how Stackhouse has those kids playing. They've, they've really struggled with COVID up there. So, you know, wouldn't it be a shame if that game got canceled? All right, today's top ten list. I want to thank uh, you guys for the suggestions. Today's suggestion comes from Skyler. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and our friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Tinsley hit me up and said, hey, Steve, how about top 10 foreign rock songs? Well, here's what I decided to do with that. I, uh, I took that idea, and uh, as you guys know, Scholar Tinsley is, uh, lives in Gadsden, Alabama, an Alabama native but a bulldog at heart. But uh, So here's what I decided to do is let's pick the top 10 international non-American rock bands and rank them. So I'm going to take his topic and kind of spin it just a little bit. And so a couple bands that, uh, that I love that have some roots outside of the States didn't make the list because, uh, you know, they're not necessarily international. They're not necessarily non-American. Steppenwolf being one of those. Steppenwolf actually a Canadian-American band uh, got their start in Canada, but really broke in L.A. And so it was part Canadian, part American. So no Steppenwolf and no foreigner. You know, while there was some, uh, you know, some some English speaking people in there from across the pond, there were also some Americans in the band. So foreigner didn't make the list. So, but here we go. This is a top ten non-American rock bands in my estimation. And I, I know many of you will say, Steve, what about this? I'm just trying to go classic rock. Okay, I'm, I'm just trying to go classic rock here. And so we're going to run these down for you, and uh, Roy will have a list up for you. This playlist was a lot of fun. I kind of Some of the songs that I picked, I, I maybe got some great ones that maybe aren't on the radio a lot. So when you see the list and you see the songs, it, it may not necessarily be the best song from that band, but I just thought we would switch it up a little bit. So here we go. Number 10... Best non-American rock band? The Guess Who. No, I'm not asking your question. That's really the name of the band, The Guess Who, out of Canada. Had some big hits, man. You know, These Eyes, American Woman, of course. Great tune from them. I decided to go with uh, No Sugar Tonight. I think it's a great tune. Probably an underappreciated classic. So The Guess Who, number 10, No Sugar Tonight. Number nine, Rush. Listen, I'm not a huge Rush fan. I know many of you are. And I respect that. Technically, they are phenomenal. Getty Lee's voice has never really done it for me. Now, listen, I like several songs by Rush, but you know, you know, Limelight is one. 
Um, you know, and there are others that you you, know, you you can get excited about. Of course, Neil Peart, uh, one of the most technically sound drummers in the history of music. But, you know, Rush is number nine on my list. And I did go with Tom Sawyer because that is my favorite Rush song. But they're, you know, they're, they're, they're Canadians. All right, so number eight from Australia. And, and many of you are going to say, Steve, I can't believe you put them ahead of Rush. Okay, we'll deal with it. I like more songs from this band, and they're probably the most poppy band on the list. They're considered classic rock, but they don't have the edge that many of the other bands on here. I wouldn't call them like you know pioneers of metal or anything, but it's the Australian import, the Little River Band. Many of you probably thought they were a southern rock band. They're not. I mean, maybe from southern Australia. But I decided to go with uh, kind of a deeper cut. This was the top. This was a, a radio hit for them, but it was not one of their more recognizable songs. But I went with "Man on Your Mind." I think that is a really cool song. It's a good driving tune. Uh, hope you enjoy checking that one out. Number seven, a little more modern here, and I could have went with a number of songs, but we went with Def Leppard at number seven, the best non-American rock band, Def Leppard. Could have gone a lot of ways here, but I decided to go with the tried and true fooling. I, I, listen, I love the Def Leppard stuff, man, but I like the stuff on Pyromania better than Hysteria and the subsequent albums. I really thought, you know, those earlier albums, you know, High and Dry and Py- Pyromania is the one that got me into Def Leppard, and, it, and I thought they were phenomenal. And uh, they, I hate to call them a sellout, but they really did kind of sell out a little bit, you know, with Hysteria. And it worked out. They sold out every arena in the country, it seemed. But uh, I, when I think Def Leppard, I think of those early licks. And uh, Fulan is the one that kind of stands out to me. Um, number six, got to go Scorpions. Rocky like a hurricane. And I know you said, well, Steve, you should do deeper cuts. The reason I did that one, we just did a top ten list of Scorpions tracks. But... Uh, yeah, right. When I began to kind of put this list together, I'm like, you know what? We need we need some bangers in here too, and so Rocky like a hurricane. I, I, there there are times I put that on in my car, and uh, I'll miss I'll miss the exit, man. I'll get the jamming so hard, I'll forget about it. Number five, one of the greatest bands from the early '70s of the British Invasion. It's Deep Purple. I could have gone a number of ways here. I almost went with Knocking at Your Back Door. I love that song. I love the intro to it. Uh, and, I, and I've always loved John Lord's keys, man. I think it was phenomenal. Richie Blackmore, of course, did a great job. Uh, Ian Page, the whole group there. I even liked the, Def, the, the David Coverdale years with Deep Purple. I don't know that a lot, enough people fully appreciate David's full catalog. But uh, I did go with Smoke on the Water. Uh, went with the iconic one. You know, I could, Highway Star is another one that I love for them. But I think, you know, the iconic deep purple guitar riff is smoke on the water one of my favorite classic rock bands that most people don't talk about out of ireland it's thin lizzy love thin lizzy and uh listen you know phil on of course uh you know we lost him far too too young uh product of an addictive uh, lifestyle there we lost him and uh, could have gone a lot of ways here. One of my favorite songs, i got to give an honorable mention to this one, one of my favorite songs from Thin Lizzy is uh, Dancing in the Moonlight. I love that bass line. I think it's infectious. But I went with the classic, The Boys Are Back in Town. We haven't talked about that song much on this show. And, you know, anytime we go to a baseball game, they always play that out there, and I love it. I, always, I said, you know, it's so great to see the generations kind of connecting, and I'm glad the music still lasts. Number three, great Australian band. Got some roots in England, too, through Brian Johnson, but it's ACDC. I decided to go with For Those About the Rock. I've been to so many metal shows over the years, and they always play that like it's an intro over the PA. And I've always felt like that we're kind of coming together as a tribe. And uh, I could have gone a lot of different ways. There are probably 50 ACDC songs that, uh, that I have loved over the years and just felt like, that, hey, this is my favorite ACDC song, but uh, this is the one. Number two, it's Black Sabbath. You know, kind of the uh, kind of the the Godfathers of kind of the uh, you know the black metal. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's when things got a little more sinister with rock music when Black Sabbath hit the scene. 
You know, and I, I read an article that uh, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard was quoted in. You know, he talked about in the early 70s, there were only three bands that really mattered. And that was Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, and Led Zeppelin. And so I decided to go because, you know, most of these songs are kind of hard-driving songs. I decided to stick with that theme. We went with Paranoid. I, I, listen, I, I could have gone a, a lot of ways with this one, too. You know, War Pigs is one of those ones that, uh, other than the, the fact that it has the uh, that lengthy guitar solo, I think War Pigs is a great karaoke song. But Paranoid is the one. That's that's the one you think about Black Sabbath. That's that's kind of the one. And number one, I went with Led Zeppelin, the greatest non-American rock band of all time. I don't I know. There's much debate, to be honest with you. I think Led Zeppelin is is kind of in a in a class of their own. And, you know, we've talked about Stairway to Heaven, and, and everybody sends me their favorite Led Zeppelin songs, and it's crazy the variety there are. And it just goes to show you the strength of the catalog. My favorite Zeppelin song of all time is Cashmere. But my favorite Led Zeppelin song to listen to in my car when I'm on the road is Rock and Roll. I, I love the way John Bonham comes in. It's like once that opening drum beat hits, you know you're about to get on the roller coaster. And I've talked about that on the show before. I love Led Zeppelin's albums. There's not a bad Led Zeppelin album. I even love Coda. I know a lot of people think, oh, that's kind of a throwaway album. And it really was. It was a satisfied record contract deal. But, uh, you know, there's so many great songs on there, Traveling Riverside Blues and Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? I love everything they've done. But rock and roll is the one for me. That's the one I look at and say, you know what? If I was ever going to pick out a song that typified what great rock and roll was, it's rock and roll. It's the rock and roll song from Led Zeppelin. So that's the top ten list for today. If you have ideas for the top 10, let's reach out. Let me know. I may use them. Happy to let you know what's going on with all that stuff. And uh, a lot of you guys have some great ideas, and sometimes I have to put some thought into it. So if I don't get to your list right away, don't think I've completely forgotten about it. Sometimes I've lost the list, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back around to it. So that's today's top 10 list. All right, Canvas Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show. If you have not been in to see them, let me encourage you to do so. Stand a man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they will treat you like family. Because in their minds, you are family. We are united under maroon and white, and you need to outfit yourself, your office, your RV, your pet, anything you have in Mississippi State Merge. You can do that. If you don't want to make it to town, or you can't make it to town, or perhaps you live around the country or around the world, reach out to them at campusbookmart.net. You can find everything you need Mississippi State related right there on their website. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll save you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Absolutely incomplete. So go check it out today. Again, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, folks, let's talk about this baseball schedule. As I shared with you guys here a couple weeks ago, you know, the uh, the Global Life tournament that we were scheduled to be a part of last year is still on. And uh, so Mississippi State will open the baseball regular season on the road in Arlington, Texas. So that's going to be February 19th through the 21st. The pairings for that tournament will be announced uh, maybe later this week. I'm told late this week, early next week. And it's going to be Arkansas State Ole Miss versus TCU Texas and Texas Tech. So we will play all the Texas schools. We won't play any of the SEC schools. But that's how we're going to open up. And then we have a very, 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 very home-friendly non-conference so once we get back from Texas, we're going to be home an awful lot. So that first opening weekend, Dirty Noble Field, we're going to welcome Jackson State uh, to town for uh, a, a Tuesday-Wednesday affair with them. And uh, that's a really cool thing, right? And then we get Tulane for a three-game set at home. We go to Pearl to play Southern Miss at Trustmark Park. That's our only trip to Pearl this week. This year there will be no governor's game for the first time since 1980, we have played Ole Miss in uh, central Mississippi every year since then, with the exception last year when the game got canceled. But we will go down there and play Southern Miss. And people say, well, Steve, I don't understand why. I'm just told logistically they couldn't work it out. And I don't know all the details, but I understand it's a, it's a joint decision between the two schools. And economically, when you think about the reduction in attendance, it kind of makes sense to me. You know, why would we want to sacrifice a home game 
to go play and split the purse with them on a neutral side game when capacity is going to be limited. You know, it's like if it's 25%, so 25% of capacity, and we have to split that money with them, and there's some money that goes to the venue as well. So economically speaking, it might make better sense for us just to play the one game down there. And, and I know that you guys will miss the game because State has dominated that. So, But anyway, that's kind of where we stand today. And then uh, we'll come back home and play Tennessee Tech. You guys may remember Tennessee Tech, of course, uh, took down Ole Miss a couple years ago uh, in their regional. This is a baseball program that uh, is kind of on, on the come up a little bit. They're a very solid mid-major. Then we get Grambling on March 9th. That's a Tuesday game. I can't remember the last time we played Grambling. I guess we could look that up. We'll come back Wednesday and play Louisiana Lafayette. It's a very, very strong team from the Sun Belt. We get Eastern Michigan March 12th through the 14th in Starkville. That's the uh, the fighting Scott Weatherbeats, right? Then we get Samford that Tuesday. You know, we went there two years ago. I went and covered that game over there. They were so surprised that somebody from the media was there. But, uh, you know, Samford's another good mid-major. We, we struggled. That was the game, if you recall, when Rowdy Jordan kind of broke out of his slump a little bit. He'd been struggling that year and uh, kind of got it going against Samford, had the game winning RBI. Then we get into league play. And so last year we were set to open with Arkansas at our place. We're gonna, that's flipped between LSU and Arkansas. We will open up on the road at LSU. And that will be an SEC network series. Obviously everybody understands how important that one is. Uh, we'll come back and get UT Martin at home on Tuesday before we open SEC play at home with Arkansas. We've done really well against Arkansas at our place, not so much at their place. After the Arkansas series, we'll have a midweek game with Mississippi Valley State. Then we get the fighting Nick Mengeons to come in here April 1st through the 3rd. We'll know, we're no April Fools. We understand how important that series is. We get Southern University, who is a very, very, very good HBCU program. Southern is outstanding. You remember they were here for a regional here a couple years ago and gave us some trouble with their soft tossing pitchers. We finally got loose on them a little bit. But uh, Roger Cador built a great program down there, and uh, they are kind of you know, doing a great job kind of recruiting down there and kind of pushing themselves. I like playing them in midweek, but I'll be honest with you, I won't be the least bit surprised if we're off balance all whole night because they're throwing about 80 miles an hour. After that, we travel to Auburn to see uh, you know Butch and those guys over there. Auburn's going to have a lot of pitching. I don't know how they're going to be offensive. They lost a lot last year. But, um, you know, we'll have a chance to go over there and win that series. We're going to have to go play well for sure. Tommy Raffo and his club will come in on April 13th. Arkansas State pays a midweek visit to Mississippi State. And then we'll host Ole Miss that weekend. That's April 16th through the 18th. UAB comes to town on the 20th. That's a Tuesday game right before we take that trip to Vanderbilt uh, in Nashville. Texas A&M, of course, will come in to close out the month of April and open up May play for us. That's going to be a big series, too. I think A&M may not have what they had offensively, but pitching-wise, they're going to be pretty good. And then we go to Columbia, South Carolina. I'm looking forward to that. That's one of the only SEC stadiums that I have not covered a game in just yet. And so I'm eager to go over there and see that. I've, many people have told me, and I, listen, I've seen all the, the, the pictures and everything else, that uh, South Carolina is the best, second-best stadium in the SEC, second to Duty Noble. So I'm eager to get over there and check that out. I, lo- I love getting out there and seeing what everybody else has. It makes me appreciate what we have even more. Uh, we'll get Missouri at home the next weekend. Missouri has really struggled in recent years. Jacksonville State will be, I believe that's the final midweek game of the year, May the 18th, Jim Case and his group coming in. Then we travel to Alabama to close out the SEC schedule. So you look at this and you start, okay, you feel pretty good about it. But listen, there's what, what seven SEC teams ranked in the top 25? Seven or several, you know. Uh, and we're going to play all of them except for Florida and Tennessee. And so – you know, we're going we're gonna to evade some of the better teams uh, in the East this year, which is kind of cool. You know, uh, a lot of people feel like, you know, Georgia's going to be a team that's uh, got a bunch of pitching, you know, for Coach Scott Strickland and those guys over there. But, uh, you know, so we're not going to see the top half of the East this year. And that's one of the things when you, when you look at this, well, of course, you get Vanderbilt. You know, Vanderbilt has kind of had the benefit of not playing the stronger teams in the West – and so we're chasing them and chasing them and chasing them. And then we have, you know, so then we split with LSU or we split with Ole Miss or we get swept by Arkansas. And then they're over there 
you know, sweeping Missouri, sweeping Kentucky. And so the strength of schedule has not been balanced in the SEC East and West for a long time, kind of like it is in football, right? Not to take anything away from Vanderbilt, but it makes it a whole lot easier, you know, to win the outright SEC regular season title if you're from the East. It just is because the weaker teams in the conference are in the East. I mean, how many years has it been, you know, that most, most years everybody in the West makes a regional you know, Alabama's kind of fallen on some hard times, but they're expected to be much improved this year. And so that'll be an interesting series late for sure. But the fact that we're going to be able to play Kentucky and Missouri and South Carolina is helpful to Mississippi State. We avoid Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. And so I think, listen, it's a great draw for us, but there is no easy schedule in the SEC. There's just not, especially when you're on the western side of things. And you begin to look at this thing. You know, Auburn's been to Omaha in the last couple of years. Arkansas has been. We've been. Uh, it's been a few years for Ole Miss. But, you know, Ole Miss is always in contention to host and, and sometimes a potential top eight national seed. Uh, you know what LSU has done. And so it's awfully rich on the western side of things. But uh, we know we're going to be battle-tested by going through that. And I remember something John Cohen said years ago. And this is back, you know, before the you know everything went crazy with the SEC. He goes, you know, if you can make it to Hoover – you can make it to Omaha. That's how competitive it is in this league because more times than not, you're going to have multiple teams from the SEC in Omaha because once they, once they spread us out, right, they spread us out and they put us in regions all over the country, we usually end up meeting up either in a super regional round or we meet up in Omaha. It's, it's very rare that, that an SEC team doesn't win a regional. You know, they put us out there and we kind of show the quality of play. And this is a very proud baseball league. And so I'm happy about the schedule. I know you guys are as well. Uh, at this point, the guidelines by the Mississippi Department of Health suggest 25%. And so I'm interested to see what John Cohen and those guys decide what is 25% of Duty Noble Field. You know, how exactly does that break down? And I'll find out for you guys. I know some of you guys have already started to get some direction about that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, we'll find out. You know, as I mentioned in my article yesterday, you know, that's kind of been a moving target. What is true capacity at Duty Noble Field? I don't know that anybody really knows. But uh, whatever we did for Stanford that night is probably pretty close. I mean, and, and I still don't believe the numbers. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal in there. And I look forward to the time we can have that. But uh, that's not going to be this year. We'll still have some great crowds, and we'll still have some raucous environments and uh, still probably outdraw most of the teams in the country, even at 25%. But, um, you know, I'm sure there is a hardline number that John Cohen and, and Dr. Mark Keenum and those guys have kind of already established uh, for Mississippi State. And, and whatever number it is, it's not going to be enough, right? I mean, we all want to go all the time. All right, speaking of baseball, Brooks Bryan, our friend, my friend, your friend, friend to all, Brooks is one of the developers to one of the brand new residential complexes here in the greater Starkville area. Portico is the name of that place, and it may be your new home. You should probably look into that. If you're looking to relocate to Starkville or to have like, you know, a home away from home, you know, an investment property here or whatever, Portico has some great options for you. Portico is conveniently located just over a mile from the Mississippi State campus. Uh, right there, just off Garrett Road, behind the Hilton Garden Inn, the Cry for Jeep dealership. You've all seen that. Easy access to both Highway 82 and 25. There'll be 51 houses total, so it'll be a nice neighborhood, but you're not going to be overrun down there. 51 houses, 18 houses already in the first phase of construction, with 33 more coming later this year. Houses will range in size from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet, from two-bedroom, two-bath to four-bedroom, four-bath. Portico includes a walking trail and a pavilion area. Let me encourage you to reach out to Brooks, and he might even talk to you a little bit about baseball. You know, his wife tells me that he has a a picture of that catch, like, blown up in their living room. Like, that's like the the centerpiece, you know, that big catch he made against Washington at Omaha. Call Brooks, and you can ask about that and also, too, about your housing needs in the Starkville area. Brooks's number is 601-416-8075. You heard that right, 601-416-8075. Okay, so before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about Zach Arnett. Uh, so, we, you know, Texas, of course, has now made their D.C. hire. Steve Sarkeesian opts to hire Pete Kwiatkowski. And I, I apologize, Pete, if I said that wrong, but Kwiatkowski from Washington, who has been at Washington, I guess, for seven years now. And uh, 
has done a good job there, whether he be, um, you know, a guy that's coaching linebackers or running the defense entirely. And so the bottom line is, is he did not uh, hire Zach Arnett. A lot of people felt like Texas was kind of the last hurdle to clear. Of course, Washington now has an opening, so I'm sure Football Scoop will say that Zach Arnett is now a candidate for that job, as well as the Jones County Junior College job and then the Gulf Shores High School job. You know, there's no end to any of that. But it does appear that Mississippi State is going to survive this. Now, LSU's situation is pretty wild. You know, we talked before about uh, Nielsen. You know, uh, LSU thought they were going to be able to get him, and then the Saints end up (laughs) kind of botching the whole thing for them. Uh, You know, the Saints – lose a defensive back coach to be the uh, D.C. at Detroit. So they hammer Ryan Nielsen down with a three-year deal. And so now OSU is kind of back to the drawing board. So some people say, well, they circle back to Arnett. I'm told that the LSU-Arnett romance is over and that the day that he went down there, it pretty much concluded that day. So I don't know where Ed Orr's run goes from here, but I do not believe that it will be Zach Arnett. But it always seems once one of these vacancies get filled, another opens up. Of course, you know, who knows what's going to happen in Tennessee. You know, Tennessee officials are saying that they're going to hire an AD first, and then the AD will then pick the coach. Well, there's no way they're going to get that stuff to happen between now and National Signing Day. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, Tennessee's recruiting class. Does Tennessee hire a sitting head coach that brings a ready-made staff with them? Who knows? And so there are still some other dominoes that are going to fill. And so Zach Arnett, obviously his agent likes to have his name associated with these jobs. So don't be alarmed if that happens again. But it does appear that Mississippi State's going to survive this. And I've told you guys before, Mississippi State's got a culture of defense. It doesn't matter who the D.C. is, you know, with the exception of Peter Sermon. We've played exceptionally well defensively uh, for decades. I mean, that's kind of who we are. We were always kind of a run-first team that played, you know, vicious defense. And a lot of that's because that's what the state produces. And so uh, I would not be overly concerned if Zach Arnett left. That's obviously not what we want. I like Zach. I think Zach fits exactly what we want in a defensive coordinator, and he is a rising star in the profession. I do believe if Arnett left that Leach would want to run uh, the three the 3-3-5. The I think that he would still go out and get somebody that kind of specializes in that. But it does appear now with all these blue blood jobs kind of filling up, it's going to be difficult for other teams to come out here and go get, uh, you know, uh, Zach Arnett. And so we may ramp up and do all this again next year. But we'll see. You know, we ought to be used to it. We went through it every year with Dan Mullen. And that's, listen, I'd rather be worried about my D.C. leaving than my head coach, you know, because that leads to so many other issues. But, um, you know, listen, we're going to get through this thing with men's basketball. Yeah, we are. And uh, I know it's one of those things you look at it and you say, you know what, I just don't see a lot of optimism. And we're not done losing ball games. We're not. Let's go ahead and accept that now. And I don't think that's necessarily a reflection on this team. And in this coaching staff, you know, listen, there have been some up and down moments, obviously, this year where these young guys have shown some real flashes. But now the people have some tape on us, have kind of figured out some things offensively, so we've got to innovate a little bit. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how things go. But, uh, you know, we knew it was going to be a rebuilding year. And it is so easy to get caught up in emotion when these things happen. You know, everybody a couple days ago was thinking, you know what, we'll be okay. And if we could beat Ole Miss, then that gives us a positive step forward, especially when we're facing the meat of our schedule right now. This is one we kind of had to have. And then we didn't get it. And because of the fact that it's them, and it would have stunk if it had been Vanderbilt too, right? You know what I'm saying? But it was things a little bit more because it is Ole Miss. And it is Kermit Davis. That's the reality of the life in which we're living right now. And so – um, you know, but there will be decisions made. And I read all the time people say, well, you know what, i got to do this. And I, Listen, it doesn't matter what I think or you think. I mean, you know, listen, we're going to vote with our attendance and we're going to vote, you know, with our support and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, the Ben Howland, you know, era is going to end whenever, uh, you know, the administration decides that it's time. You know, I fully believed at the beginning of the year that he would get this year and one more for sure. I don't know if that's the case anymore. We'll, we'll just kind of see how the season plays out. And I think it's also best, too, that you make these decisions in the end. You don't make these decisions after an emotional loss to an in-state rival. Because it's easy to get caught up in the moment. If you go back and listen to the first part of the show, uh, I was in my feelings, as the kids say. And uh, it is. But it's not, it's not so much that you lose to Ole Miss. It's just that, you know, we thought we were going to be a little bit better than we expected. 
And I'm not here to, to uh, you know, to try to explain all this stuff away. It's a game that we absolutely should have won, and we blew it, and we looked bad in the process. And uh, listen, I don't, I don't believe in uh, protecting coaches and that sort of stuff. I mean, listen, you guys want to go out there and get them on social media? That's fine. You know, you come on my message board and talk about it. You're going to be respectful. I'll let you give your opinion, but I'm not going to let you go off the rails there. But uh, but it's one of those deals that, you know, you look at all this, and you know, it's a shared experience, but I don't think there's anybody right now that's happy about Mississippi State men's basketball. That's one of the things I was so happy about the baseball schedule coming out. I said, you know, it's going to be easy for me to kind of detach from some of the stuff basketball-wise emotionally because we are going through some growing pains because I, I've got something to look forward to with baseball. I'm excited about baseball. I think we're going to be an elite team, play at an elite level this year. And so – it's a countdown, 30 days, you know, 30 days, and we get into college baseball season. So we're going to make it, kids. We're going to make it. Just hang in there with us. A lot to talk about here in the weeks to come for sure. If you haven't done so, let me encourage you to go to alphadogsthebook.com, and you can order personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to starkvillains.com. You get a T-shirt, hoodie, whatever you want. Multiple colors to choose from, including if you're local, even in your high school colors. How about that? Made it easy and convenient for you. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.